Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Our text this morning, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, is an invitation for us. It's an invitation for us to have hope. After all, there are few things more destructive and devastating to someone than hopelessness. If you or someone you know have ever experienced true hopelessness, a complete loss of all hope, then you know what true suffering and agony looks like. To live without hope is misery. And so our invitation this morning is to have hope. And there's lots of things out there today, though, that are challenging our hope. And lots of people uh, in the church or around us are losing hope. We just uh, experienced another surge in COVID cases with uh, another strain of it. And it's likely we may see another surge at one point with another new strain. Or it's possible there may be an entirely new virus one day that we may have to face. We also see uh, moral decline and decay in our society. We see our culture torn apart by injustice, by politics, by just hatred and rivalry and contention. We see the same thing happening even in the church. Churches that give in to divisiveness. And we see that even happening sometimes in our own families. And we lose hope. And even if we look at ourselves, we see our own moral lapses. We see our own struggles with sin, our own failures. And it's easy sometimes to feel like we are losing hope. But we can also think about our brothers and sisters around the world. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, for example, as Richard just prayed for, who may be tempted to lose hope in the face of this conflict or those who face persecution in places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, China, and other places. The temptation is strong to lose hope. But also the churches to whom the the book of Hebrews was written were also being tempted to lose hope. And that's why the author of Hebrews here is encouraging them, is exhorting them to hold fast to our hope. After all, the purpose of Hebrews, as we've seen already, is to call the church to faithfulness, to persevere, 
To hold fast, as we just read in, in, in 3.6. Hold firm, as the author again says in 3.14. To hold fast, he repeats it again in 4.14. This holding on continually comes up through the book of Hebrews. It is what we are called to do. It is the condition upon which we continue to remain connected to Christ. We are called to be faithful. But how can you be faithful? How can you be faithful and hold on when you are facing things that make you feel hopeless? Well, to answer that question, the author of Hebrews writes us in this passage that we consider how Jesus is faithful. We can be faithful and hold on to hope when we consider and when we examine how Jesus is faithful. We see here in 3.1, that is the command. 3.1 is to consider. This is building on what he already instructed us in chapter 2, verse 1, which is the first command in the book where he says, pay attention. Pay much closer attention. Stop looking at all these other places. You need to look at Jesus. And now in 3.1, he says, don't just pay attention, consider. He's saying, draw in closer. Examine it more carefully. Hold your attention, hold your focus right here. This is what it means to consider. First, Jesus gets our attention, and now Jesus must hold our attention. If you think of this, this word considering, a helpful illustration is, um, think of how a master chess player watches a chessboard. Uh, last year I watched a, a TV show about this fictional chess player, but it made me curious about, you know, th- this world of competitive chess. And, and I, I did some little bit of research and I found out the, the current um, world chess champion is a Norwegian man named Magnus Carlsen. And I watch these videos of him playing chess, and it is astounding the level of focus and concentration you see in his eyes. You can see it on his face. You can tell nothing else is happening in his mind. And the same thing is true of all the great chess masters. They are watching that board, considering carefully each piece and each move, thinking about it from every angle, considering all the moves that have happened in the game up until this point, and even considering all the possible moves that can happen from this point on. And the amazing thing is that they do this for an incredible long period of time. In fact, just this past December, um, uh, Magnus Carlsen won the longest game in World Chess Championship history, um, that lasted seven hours and 45 minutes. But that's actually nothing compared to the longest recorded game on record, which happened in 1989, and that lasted over 20 hours. This is what it means to consider. To come in closely. To fix your eyes on something, to focus in on it and hold it. And don't be moved. That's what this means. That's what he's calling us to do. Our call this morning is to consider Jesus, specifically to consider his faithfulness. 
Because when we carefully consider Jesus, when we think carefully about his faithfulness, that is when we can have hope. And that is when we can remain faithful. So in this text this morning, we're going to see uh, Jesus' faithfulness displayed in two ways. The first of which is Jesus is faithful as the builder of God's house. Secondly, we will see Jesus is faithful as the son who is over God's house. And then finally, bringing those things together, we will see that Jesus' faithfulness is our hope. So first then, Jesus is faithful as the builder of God's house, which is the church. We are the house that Jesus is building. We are his people. We are his family. And this is another way that the author tells us, makes clear to us that Jesus is in fact God. He tells us the builder of all things is God, but Jesus is the one who is building the church. Therefore, Jesus is God. And the other thing that this means is that the church belongs to Jesus. He made it. He built it. It's his. It belongs to no one else, and he will suffer no rival. Jesus doesn't have to share. This may or may not happen in, in, in your house, if you have any kids, but in our house sometimes there are disagreements over who gets to play with a certain toy. And uh, when these disagreements happen, sometimes they might be able to be resolved peacefully, but other times mom and dad might have to intervene. And one strategy that we can use is that we might uh, either, we just know or we can ask, well, who does the toy belong to? Whose is it? And if it belongs to someone, we say, okay, they get to play with it. That child to whom the toy belongs gets to play with the toy, and the other child needs to just find something else to do. Or, if it doesn't really belong to anyone in particular, it's just kind of a general toy, they have to find a way to share, take turns, play with it together. And if they're not willing to do that, guess what? Mom and dad might just take it away. But see, here's the point. Jesus doesn't have to share. Jesus doesn't get the church taken away from him. It is his church. It belongs to him. He built it. He is building it. This is why the author of Hebrews can say that Jesus has greater glory than Moses. That Moses is just a part of the house. He's another part of this building that, God has, that Jesus has been building. But Jesus is the builder. It belongs to him. And Jesus is faithful. He is faithful as the maker and the builder of the church because he's continuing to build his church. And he will not let his church fall. He will not let it be destroyed. Jesus promised this explicitly. Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we can have hope. We can have hope that Jesus will not fail his church. 
Jesus will not fail in building his church. No matter what moral decline or decay we see in society, no no matter what uh, laws we see as oppressive that we see our government passing, no matter what is happening in the world around us, we shouldn't be afraid. But we should have hope. Because Jesus is faithful as the builder of his church. He will not let it fall. Secondly, we see that Jesus is faithful as the son who is over God's house. Now, this is a bit of a strange phrase, but think about what you might uh, know about um, the ancient world and what the, the, uh, the firstborn son in a family, what his rights were, what the expectation were of him as the heir. The firstborn son in a wealthy family or a prominent family inherited everything. It was his. It all belongs to him. And when he came of age, he controlled it. He had absolute sovereign control over his house because it was his and it belongs to him. So that means all the family members all the servants who worked in the house, all the possessions and resources that they had, the house itself, they all, they were all under his control and he got to have final say about what happened to it. Jesus is the son. Jesus is the heir. Everything and everyone in the house serves him to increase his power, to increase his possessions and to advance his reputation. That's the way it works. Now, Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, and he is commended for that. God himself commends Moses in Numbers 12. This is the passage that the author of Hebrews is referencing. And God said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful. In all my house, with him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses was a great man. Moses had great power. Moses held a unique position among God's people. And yet Moses remained a servant. Moses is not greater than the Son. Another great uh, show we watched last year is The Crown, which is about the story of Queen Elizabeth and how she became queen and and about her uh, career as Queen of England. But one interesting character in the early seasons is a man named Tommy Lassells. Tommy Lassells was the personal secretary to Queen Elizabeth and also before uh, to her father, to King George. And the interesting thing about Tommy Lassells is that, you know, as personal secretary to the sovereign, he ran everything. This man was the, he was the chief administrator over the entire household. All the servants and everyone who worked for the royal family answered to him. And he was also a man of considerable influence and power in, in parliament and in just the, the country as a whole. And, and, the, act, and the, 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 pers- the actor who portrayed him 
does a fantastic job because he's intimidating. This man is even scary. He is a formidable person. You do not want to cross Tommy Lassels. If you work in the royal household and you got called into his office, you knew something was about to happen. Tommy Lassels was no joke. But he was not the king. He worked to serve the king and the royal family. His job, his goal in life, his mission was to be an efficient, faithful servant who protected the royal family and protected their interests. And he served them faithfully. This is the most that any of us can expect as Christians. This is the most we can say of any believer. We may have lofty goals and aspirations. We may want to accomplish great things for God. And we may be able to even achieve some of those goals. We may be able to do all these things for the kingdom and for sharing the gospel. All these things we may be able to achieve. But at the end of the day, just like Moses, all we can say is, we are only your servants. We are not on a level with the Son. Jesus himself says this in a parable in Luke 17. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. That's the difference between a son and a servant. That's the difference between Jesus and Moses. And at the end of the day, that is what we can also say, Lord, we have only done what was our duty. We remain your servants. But Jesus is no domineering master. He is faithful. He is kind. He is generous. As members of his household, as the house that he has built, as his servants, he provides us with everything we need. He gives us all we could hope for, all we need, and more. Jesus even gives his own life for his people, how much more then will he not also give us all we need for today and for tomorrow? You may be questioning right now, after a long week, a long month, or a long year, I don't know if I have anything left to give. I don't know if I've got anything left How am I going to get through tomorrow? How am I going to get through another week? If you are in that place, then you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Master is generous. And he gives us all that we need, sufficient for each day. And he will not fail because he is faithful as the Son over God's house. Thirdly, 
bringing these things together, we can be faithful to Christ. We can hold fast to him because Jesus' faithfulness is our hope. Now, one of the, the, inconvenient, the sad truths about hopelessness is that hopelessness is a consequence of false hope. It means you've been putting your hope in the wrong thing. People lose hope and become hopeless because their hopes have disappointed them. Their hopes and dreams have let them down. And that's why they've become hopeless. First century Jews and and some of these early Christians were tempted to put their hope in Moses. They thought if we could just, just follow what Moses teaches and we can just keep these rules that God gave through Moses and we can just, we, we, we can keep going through Moses and put our hope in him that we'll be okay. But that would disappoint them. Eventually. Uh, more recent example though, University of Alabama fans may be tempted to put their hopes in Nick Saban. For good reason. He's an excellent coach and he has an amazing record, but University of Alabama's fans' hopes were dashed this year, I am very pleased to say. <laughs> On a sadder note, for my fellow Packers fans and I, we, we, we had our hopes placed on Aaron Rodgers. And just recently, he dashed our hopes. We all have hopes that disappoint us. What hopes have led to disappointment for you? Have you hoped for an easy life, or at least an easier one than what you got? Did you hope that you would have health, you would be generally healthy for most of your life, and that your children would also be healthy? Did you hope for a marriage in which you always saw eye to eye and there was perfect agreement and you were on the same page and and, and there was no real fighting and there was no betrayal? Did you hope for children who would attentively listen to every word you say and would obey it immediately and who were just profuse in their admiration and respect for you? Did you hope for a job, that dream job that would be stimulating and exciting and challenging but not too hard uh, and would pay you very well? Have these hopes let you down? What hopes are you still pursuing? What hopes are you still chasing after even though you know deep down you have the feeling this hope will not satisfy me? Are you hoping for an end to the global pandemic? Are you hoping there will be no more pandemics in the future? Are you hoping for uh, a new elected official to come into office who will end all the injustices and all of the the, the division and all of the moral decline and all of the, the government overreach and all of these things that you see are problems that are happening? Are you hoping for that? 
Are you hoping to find a church where you just love what the pastor says every Sunday and you are in perfect agreement with it and, and it never really challenges you or is that hard for you to hear and that you love the worship and it's just perfectly suited to your taste every day and where you can get plugged in really easily and make fast friends and you never have conflict with anyone? Is that what you're hoping for? Our hopelessness stems from false hopes that disappoint us. But there is one hope and only one that will never disappoint us. Only one hope that will never let us down. And that is Jesus. Because Jesus is faithful. He is faithful as the builder of his church. He is faithful as the son, the heir over his church. He is faithful, we are also told in verse 2, as the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is the one God has sent, whom God appointed to come to us, to show us the way, to teach us the truth. He is our high priest who stands between us and God, making intercession for us, sacrificing himself for us to pay for our sins. Jesus is faithful in all of these ways and more. Jesus will never let you down. We can only have perfect hope in Jesus. And even hope in him gives us grounds for confidence. We can have real confidence. We can even go out boasting. I know that boasting is one of those things that in Christian circles you're not supposed to do. But that's just because we boast about the wrong things. We should be able to boast in Jesus. Because he is faithful. Because he has fulfilled perfectly all that God asked of him to do because he continually cares for us and loves us and gives us all that we need. We can boast in him. We can be hopeful. But only in Jesus. Pastor and theologian Randy Alcorn says this about hope in his book on heaven. He says, if we build our lives on the redemptive work of Christ, we should all be optimists. Why? Because even our most painful experience in life is but a temporary setback. Our pain and suffering may or may not be relieved in this life. But they will certainly be relieved in the next. That is Christ's promise. No more death. Or pain, he will wipe away all our tears. He took our sufferings on himself so that one day he might remove all suffering from us. That is the biblical foundation for our optimism. No Christian should be a pessimist. We should be realists, focused on the reality that we serve a sovereign and gracious God because of the reality of Christ's atoning sacrifice and his promises. Biblical realism is optimism. Don't place your hope in favorable circumstances which cannot and will not last. 
Place your hope in Christ and his promises. He will return, and we will be resurrected to life on new earth where we will behold God's face and joyfully serve him forever. If that is not your hope, then if you're not facing hopelessness now, you will one day. Because anything less is a false hope. But we are invited this morning to have real hope. A hope that will never fail. A hope that will not disappoint. And the way that we can have that is by considering, by looking carefully at Jesus. By considering his faithfulness, dwelling upon that, meditating on it, and staying there. Not being drawn away to other things. But holding fast to him. We hold fast to Jesus because he is our hope. And in him, because of his faithfulness, we can also be faithful. Let's pray.